0: how y'all doing? So say good morning. How's everybody? So um, I I wanted to start off today by talking about some things. Um, One would be uh, the fact that like there is a plan for a book called uh it's going to be something about like maybe a memoir of an Amish misfit or a memoir of a misfit Amish I don't know I haven't decided yet but that is in the plans and the works and it's being worked upon look for that in the next six months we hope we dream so yeah there's that secondly let me also talk about the fact that we have Patreon subscribers that are enabling this live stream today. Thank you for that. I really appreciate your support and your continued support. It means a lot to me because it is imperative and crucial to have these conversations. Specifically, when we start talking about rape culture, you know, why do you think it's important to talk about rape culture, Lori?
1: because it's everywhere it's pervasive in mainstream society and it shows up in all all walks of life all religions all faith groups all genders um, all religions if I didn't already say that ages and um, a lot of people assume that it doesn't show up in our communities in fact, I just had a conversation yesterday where I had to blow somebody's mind.
0: Ah, oh, no, Tell me about it. Oh,
1: okay, well, um, air conditioning, I came out, my air conditioning's broken, and happened I don't know how we got on the topic of what I do for work, which slid into me being mad. I have no idea. And of course he was like, he didn't know what Mennonites were, but he knew what Amish were.
0: <laughs> oh my. Again, we have to have the conversations about Mennonites also. We have to have the conversations about different types of Anabaptists.
1: Right, because everybody just assumes when you see a head covering that or a plain looking person, they're Amish. Right. Um, Yeah. So and of course, he he was like, shocked at the things I told him. You (laughs) don't say I didn't even tell them too much. I don't want to like, I don't want to like combust in my living room. That's a mess I wasn't prepared to clean up. (laughs) No,
0: we weren't trying to make a mess. Just kind of like give you information to help you make a more informed decision about how you speak about Mennonites and how you understand Amish versus Mennonites. And yeah, we just want you to have enough information to be able to make a more informed choice,
1: right? Well, and in this case, just the fact that they're not the peaceful, gentle people. I mean, obviously some of them are, but like, you know, that that abuse and things exist because literally he was shocked that any of that occurs at all.
0: Right. Because the narrative is quite frankly, often centered around they're the peaceful, gentle people, they're pacifists, they're nonviolent, they're conscientious objectors, they're non-resistant, you know, like that's that's what the narrative far too often is. And when people hear that, they make assumptions based on that. So we have to be careful what kind of bias we're approaching things with. Here's the thing, as Lori was saying, abuse exists inside of cultures around the world abuse exists inside of communities around the world abuse has no boundaries and until we begin to understand that abuse has no boundaries we can't even begin serving people appropriately because when we enter a conversation with people we may automatically make assumptions which is called bias right Mm -hmm. so let's talk about that for a second what is bias Bias is the internalized way of you looking at something or somebody.
1: And we all have biases. We're not, people if they're not self-aware, they don't recognize that they have them. I've said things about certain cultural groups. Like I've, like something popped out of my mouth and I gasped and was like, oh like I, I have
0: know. a bias right like it's important that we have the self-awareness to recognize and acknowledge bias
1: yeah I felt horrible because it wasn't like a
0: one like I mean like the way that I grew up I I have bias and I I realize that and I recognize that and I work really hard to be aware of that but also like the fact of like you know I could say that like all Amish people are bad That could be a bias that I could potentially have. But however, comma, pause, I I say this over and over, and at the risk of sounding like a broken record, I'm going to say it again. Amish people are just people. To put them on a pedestal where they can do no wrong, where abuse doesn't exist, is to dehumanize them. Because now you're worshiping them. To demonize them, to say that, you know, all of them are, you know, possessed by demons or whatever cast them out that is also harmful they are human beings they are worthy of human rights and i think like am i am i wrong when i say the same goes for mennonites
1: my presumption is that they're also human
0: you presume (laughs) you're just i mean are you human
1: it seems that way now i am part bionic woman but that's a different story Oh my
0: but <laughs> yeah. regardless like when we are like for example if i enter into a conversation with somebody and and i'm like oh, well, this person came from the Amish community, or they're in the Amish community, and now I'm automatically assuming things about them based on the peaceful, gentle people, the non-resistance, the pacifism, the conscientious objector status, and, you know, even the the narrative about Rumspringa, that's, that's another bias that people have, and society as Western society as a whole um, that if you feel yourself compelled to bring up Rumspringa to an Amish person may I just ask that you examine where you obtained your definition of Rumspringa in the first place and I'd invite you to learn more about Rumspringa by listening to various um, born Amish and joined in Amish people talking about Rumspringa. Just, just a thought. Because how do we combat our own bias by being but- open to more information?
1: Yeah. I've been guilty of making assumptions about plain people based on the type of church they go to, the way that they dress, like assuming that they're a part of it, because I know that, and that's a bias. It's an assumption and it's not always accurate. (laughs) Many times it's not accurate. I mean, I'm not even talking about negative or bad things, just like, oh, they probably believe this way or that way, or they don't do this or that. Um, And that's not always true.
0: (laughs) Right. And I've been guilty of that, too. Like, that's the thing. I think we're human beings and that shows our humanity. And when we approach people with a bias like that, when we project our bias onto these people, we are actually dehumanizing them. And to understand that is important. Which is also why you should listen to people who have lived Amish over like listening to people who are so-called experts or even like another thing is, is when you start talking about the culture, for example, like you have all these so-called experts who talk about our culture, but can they actually grasp what the culture is?
1: seem like it how could they if they didn't live it really truly anyone that goes for any of us for any culture that we didn't that we weren't a part of
0: how could they how could they begin to understand the culture as a whole so why do we need to talk about rape culture again why why do we need to talk about rape culture Not only because it exists in every culture, right? But what's another important thing? Are there published works out there that talk about Amish rape culture or Mennonite rape culture? Can you access that information?
1: No, I actually Googled it this morning and i didn't find anything
0: so why do we not have a conversation about rape culture available for access and what does it boil down to
1: lack of lack of information <clears throat> <clears throat>
0: or even understanding rape culture. So what is rape culture? Rape culture is not actually the act of rape itself. Right. It's the actions of people and organizations and groups that normalize rape culture.
1: Yep, And, they pre- and it's like cultural norms and institutions that protect rapists, promote impunity, shame victims, and demand that women make unreasonable sacrifices to avoid sexual assault. And I'm going to say right from the beginning that w- we know that women are also perpetrators. And we know that men can also be victims, whether it's by another man or by a woman. Um, so, but that is just, that is right. one thing though that in our culture we hear, we don't really hear People talk about how men can avoid being assaulted, but we do hear it a lot about women.
0: Well, I mean, as an example, I got y'all. Woohoo! Our yes. Favorite little Our book favorite, book. favorite little book. That's kind of like... That one. Say what?
1: I'm going to have a sip of coffee for this one.
0: <laughs> so, like, let me give you an example of some of rape culture. A trap that some girls fall into is that of flirting. Be careful that you do not enjoy laughing and teasing with boys or men. Be careful not to act in a way that is not becoming. What is not for sale should not be advertised. If your body is not for sale, do not advertise it. Study to be quiet and reserved around the opposite sex. This is on page 13 of To a Girl of Eleven
1: why are we talking to a child about their body and their sexuality as if it's an object for sale? What is that?
0: That's objectification. That's objectification and sexualizing a child, a young child who may not even understand or know what sex is. Literally.
1: And this, to remind you, this is a book that is given to plain children.
0: hmm <clears throat> This is a book that is given to parents to teach their children, plain parents to teach their children. So is that in, like if that is the culture, the environment that you're in, how do people respond? Let me also give you an another another example. I have lots of examples, Lori. Do you have any?
1: Um, I don't have any like books like that. I just have some
0: notes. Oh, well, you want to talk about your notes? <laughs> let's, let's hear it. What yeah. you got?
1: Well, I was just thinking of like, what are ways that I've seen rape culture show up in Mennonite communities? Um, And I'm gonna start off with the worst one that I've, well, I don't know if we can't really categorize, but um, during the 2016 election, I saw a whole group of plain people blindly supporting a candidate who spoke openly about grabbing women by the genitals. And that's just one example that, of and that there are many other things that this person has said and done. He, so this person isn't openly, is openly saying he assaults women. And plain people support this. They're not the only ones. Um, but that's one thing that I definitely saw and was horrified by. Um, victim blaming. Um, We are taught, we were taught like if we dress a certain way and if a man lusts after us that it was our fault. Uh, Keep in mind we wore dresses that were homemade dresses covering probably most of our elbows, um, cape dresses and dresses that came between knees and the floor. Um, In my home we weren't even allowed to come to the dinner table without being fully dressed. So uh, that's 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 um, that's rape culture, um, defining manhood as dominant and sexually aggressive and defining women as submissive and sexually passive. I've seen that in Mennonite communities. Um, refusing to take rape or sexual assault accusations seriously. Uh, again, teaching women how to avoid getting raped instead of teaching men not to. Mhm. Uh-huh. And back to what we talked about earlier with it being the the systems in place that protect. The systems are literally designed to protect perpetrators.
0: Well, I, I mean, like, would you feel that, um, for example, like the idea that women were created to be a helpmeet is partially lending to this culture?
1: Yeah, because you're like, especially when they take it, to the extreme and they add you know the verse of in the um in the bible it talks about submitting to your husband and then they're taught women are not to question anything so it's basically assume that whatever your man's needs are it's your job to fulfill that because rape can happen in a marriage a lot right. of people don't understand that a lot of people Don't consider that as rape, but even if you're married, you still get to say no.
0: So, a couple weeks before I escaped, one of the things that I was personally told by my mother was that when you get married, you have to do whatever your husband says whenever he says inside the bedroom and out. And that's basically, in my opinion, a culmination of that kind of environment and the teachings that were put out to have parents. Because again, like I can tell you where this book was in our home. I can literally tell you the exact spot where it was. So when you have things like another passage that we've read from this book previously also normalizes incest, which is also part of rape culture. And it again talks about the girl, the 11-year-old girl is supposed to not climb on ladders in front of her brothers, right? And I'm paraphrasing this, but it's again, that's the environment that I grew up in. That's the kind of mentality that I grew up in. And Let me tell you about one community that I lived in and how pervasive the incest, incestuous rape culture was. For example, in inside of this community specifically, this is one old order Amish community. I am not by any means saying that all old order Amish communities are like this. Again, we are not saying all Amish. We are talking about our experiences and how we've been able to process them and what we now understand about them. Yeah. So a good thing. Yeah. Please, please understand that. I don't want you to go out and commit crimes against Amish people don't that's that's not the goal
1: well that's also not like it's not hopeful uh, like. no
0: like the goal is to create hope and have meaningful conversations and this is a meaningful conversation but people for some reason tend to take things to the extreme so we have to give disclaimers <laughs> but let me tell you about it so we moved there we lived in this community About four years, maybe a little bit longer. Okay? I went to two different schools there. The thing is, is that when, because my mother was widowed at this time, she would leave me with people, older children, older older children that were my cousins. She would leave me with my cousins and my siblings with my cousins to babysit me. The thing is, is that these children, and then my adult cousin that was there, because he was over the age of 18. That is what an adult is defined as in most states in America. Um, And he would have his younger sisters lock me in a room, and they would laugh about it. They would laugh about a small child being assaulted. It was everywhere. It was, it was literally everywhere. And the children would talk about assaulting their siblings and assaulting other children. You would go to school. The first school I went to, I literally saw people being assaulted in the outhouse. We would be grabbed by boys and people inside of the, like, as we were in recess at school. It was normal. When we went to church, we weren't safe. When we went to dinner at somebody's house, we weren't safe. Because it was so normalized to have such an incestuous rape culture. And the question that I have is, how can we combat that? when adults look the other way and children think it's normal to sexually assault each other. Where do you think can we, where where can we start? Got any ideas? <laughs>
1: I mean, I think, you know, I know you're passing out information to these communities and I think that's a huge first step, you know, and disseminating information because knowledge is power and the, the, the children in these communities, it's like generational at this point, you know, it's passed down and that's why it's normal to them. Um, And, you know, that's why they don't realize that they can, and they don't know that they can tell somebody besides the Bishop if they're not. And they're taught right. that any public, state organization is out to get you out to take your kids and you know even though like those children how are they how would they even know anything else they can't possibly know um so they need education from the outside Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and you know obviously the, the whole system of like outside the community also needs to be aware because we I've heard countless stories of them failing people as children as well because they're not fully informed and if you know like the gentleman I was talking to yesterday so quickly obviously had this image that's just one example of how other people like the, the justice system, everybody, the branding that the Amish ha- has done is so profound that it pervades everything.
0: And it's all about money. an image, but mostly money. <laughs> Comes back to the money. The image has to be maintained so that they can have, have access yeah. to the money. And the people that are so-called experts are sitting there and they are maintaining the image at the cost of children. Children's lives when you have mothers who sit there and tell their daughters, it happened to me and I'm okay, so you're gonna be okay. But
1: are you kind of first of all, are you okay? Second of all, no. Do they know no.
0: Like, that's, that's absolutely normalization. And let me give you another thing that is part of this culture. So we have this thing called autograph books inside of Amish communities. I think the, the world kind of uses them more as, like, yearbooks. So think of them as that or, like, something like that, right? Um, I have an autograph book. I was nine years old when this was written in my autograph. Mary likes to wash the dishes. Mary likes to sweep the floor. Mary likes to kiss, and I'm not going to say the name, behind the kitchen door. Isn't that also part of, like, sexualizing young children?
1: Yeah, How would, why would a nine-year-old talk like that? They don't have TV, so obviously they're not seeing it on TV.
0: No. So why would a nine-year-old talk like that? That's a good question. Because typically, children learn things from their environment. Yep. They learn things from their parents. They learn things from their school environment. And when they're learning and taking in information, they tend to um, regurgitate that information. So what did this child learn that wrote that in my autograph book? Because that was a child that wrote that in my autograph book.
1: They'd obviously seen and experienced that already at nine years old. And it shows the sexualization because if that's on a child's radar at nine years old, then obviously that's something that they've experienced and not from watching their parents.
0: No, because parents did not display physical affection in front of us we did not experience physical affection the most like like in all of the communities that i lived in we didn't experience physical affection like the most of what we got like a physical touch would be like a handshake that
1: we'll forget the holy kiss mary oh, oh a
0: child though never a holy kiss we didn't do that as a child i know some communities do that but we <laughs> didn't like do that, a- that as a child <laughs> But, know. And, and the foot washing don't forget that either like we did the foot washing with that bucket of water that was That's heated right. all the way around so when you um, have like sexualized old forms of touch because the only form of touch that you're going to get is from whoever you're married to right and it's sexualized so what right. does that say
1: so are you saying that even in mar- married couples wouldn't be like hug and, and have non-sexual intimate touch?
0: We never saw it. What? Right. So, so what I'm asking is, is like when children grow up seeing the only, like all forms of touch being sexualized. Mm-hmm. Cause that's all they see because we're seeing other children being sexually assaulted or sexually abused or like, what, what is that? And to be clear, let me also put this out there. I went to five different Amish schools. Let me count again. Make sure one, two, three, <laughs> four. Yes. I went to five different Amish schools. That community was the only community that I witnessed children being sexually assaulted in school. And I think it's important for you to understand that each Amish community can be different and hold different values and may have different challenges. Aren't Mennonites like that too?
1: Yeah, for sure
0: tell me about that
1: um yeah Mennonites also have the same like or similar caste system as far as like the um like liberal to conservative and I always like to you know explain I think you have I know you've explained it on your podcast before but um for anyone who's listening that maybe hasn't it has nothing to do with your political belief system um but I like to a lot of people understand like baptists and like baptists range from like i don't know all of them but like fundamental baptists which are much more conservative they might wear dresses and then you have southern baptists and i don't know what the other baptists are because i was never baptist but more liberal Baptists. Mm -hmm. it's the same within the mennonite community um you have much more conservative the much more conservative you are the more um, fundamental, the more um, probably isolated from other people. Um, there's some, you know, if we really want to confuse people, there's old order Mennonites that are more like Amish. <laughs> uh-huh. I love ex- trying to explain to people the differences and then saying like, and then there's the old order Mennonites and then there's the new order Amish it's
0: too much well and then there's the brethren mennonites because i know somebody that came from the brethren right and then there's other anabaptists even which is like the dunkard brethren the river Baptists, like like there's there's so many flavors and so much variety but when we dilute the experiences of specific types of of Mennonites or even Amish like when we delete those experiences we're really doing a disservice that's why I talk about being Ape Troyer Amish and Old Order Amish because that's what I experience right. Hi Jacob Jacob says hello <laughs> welcome, welcome to, to the, show. the show Welcome to the show
1: <laughs> I was going to say the shit show but you
0: know I I had to stop myself because I started saying welcome to the shit show <laughs> Uh,
1: Leave it to me to like leave out the filters. I'm not, I'm not known to have much of a filter. It's a problem. I'm the problem. It's me. But um, (laughs) um, yeah, yeah, so I would say like I considered myself to have grown up conservative Mennonite because we had to wear cape dresses and head coverings and, you know, like we weren't allowed to have TV, a lot of the main, you know, but I also realized there were a lot of churches that were much more conservative. And so in their minds, they're the Holy grail of conservatism. But, um, I also was a part of a church that was slightly more liberal. We did have to wear head coverings, but we didn't have to wear the homemade dresses. I think I've talked about that before. So it's, it's subjective. Conservatism is, is subjective. It's a spectrum. Um, I would say that we were probably somewhere in the middle, but I've seen, I have relatives that are much more conservative and I know people that are much more conservative. I've had, I've always was the type of person that had friends amongst all different, like I had Amish friends. I had like worldly or English friends. If you want to use the Mennonite in Amish terms for them, Um, always, always have um, had much more liberal Mennonite friends, much more conservative. It didn't matter to me because um, you can connect with people on, on things because to not having bias sometimes you'll meet someone who's much more conservative but they actually have a lot in common and we're digressing off the topic so i'll let you yeah. bring it back
0: let's let's No, thank you for that. I think like people really do need to understand that there's such a wide variety, but there's also like such a wide spectrum, we can't begin to cover all of them. And when we lump all of them under one term, we're we're not being actual factual about what the culture really is like, because there could be like, Laurie script, you've wore bobby pins. <laughs> you bar Bobby pins, which
1: don't is get the giant pin on the top of the covering with the pearl or whatever it was. that I thought was like super. Off. I don't know.
0: Right. But when you start talking about rape culture and how that affects people, like there's certain underlying things that are inherently across the board inside of rape, rape culture, right? Yes. We and see it in mainstream society. We see it. Right. We see it in the judges who, like, for example, like Brock Turner, when they, um, he, he got what, like three months because, yeah. you know, he's a bright young athlete. Right. What, what right. is that? Like, like, how is that not perpetuating rape culture? When you have judges who ask survivors of sexual assault and rape, they're like, oh, well, you know, what were you wearing? It doesn't yes. matter what you were wearing. Nobody asked to be assaulted.
1: Or like during the election, when I would voice concerns or other people, it was like,
0: "Oh, well, that, that was that was just locker
1: room talk." Um, n- no. no, absolutely no. not. And like, and so that's what it, it's like when you start to normalize and minimize and laugh about these types of things, it perpetuates and normalizes it and makes it other people think it's okay to do that, to Mm -hmm. talk that way. Mm -hmm. But to bring rape culture to like the, the spectrum of conservatism, I believe that the more conservative the community, the more isolated and insulated, the more they subscribe to these beliefs that are in that book that Mary read um, that again it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist everywhere because it does even in you know the church like you can see you know Hillsong United has had rape allegations obviously I don't have to talk about the Catholic Church um, I've seen the it, Baptist Church like, yeah, it's huge like that's coming to light um, the Jehovah's Witnesses yep like literally every community, um, and so we just want people to know that it also happens in our communities. And th- I think the thing I think the thing that makes it worse when it's a, a conservative religious community is that it's less believed because people like will say, "Well, they're just so." so christian or they're just so close to god and all these things and that minimizes it and what that does is it causes more harm to victims because they're not believed and it gives it gives a space for perpetrators to get away with it more
0: well and not only just a not-believe, let's talk about that. I've had multiple reports over the last 18 years of people who tried to report crimes that Amish people committed, and several things, like, have happened, like, there's... There's this whole mentality of because they're the peaceful, gentle people, because they're closer to God, because they practice a life that is like so conservative and pacifist and, and non-resistant. That some people, when they walk into or when they contact law enforcement or the justice system and they try to make a report, they're met with a wall of, well, that person's Amish. They would never do that. So it doesn't, like, the harm that is caused by perpetuating narratives and this inherent bias, which is why we had to talk about bias a little bit, is is not just affecting one person. It's affecting multiple people in multiple states, in multiple communities. And the other part is, is the people who say, oh, well, they're Amish and we can't investigate them. You better... Let me tell you something. Just because they're Amish does not mean that they're above the law. If your job is to investigate suspected crimes, you best go investigate. I don't care if it's harder. Do your job. That is your job. That is your entire job. Do your job. They are humans, and they have human rights. And one day, I hope somebody who contacts somebody in a position to do an investigation that doesn't do an investigation, I hope somebody sues them. Yes. I really do. And I honestly am beginning to think that that's the only way that it will change is when somebody gets sued for failure or, and prosecuted for yeah. failure to investigate an Amish crime.
1: Yeah. Or report it if it's a mandated reporter. Um, you know, because the system is such that like these bishops like know how to talk to law enforcement in a way that somehow convinces them that they can handle it on their own and within the community. And so when a victim actually in the rare case that they do report something or maybe at school, if they go to a public school, a teacher reports it, the justice system then also fails the victims because of branding essentially because they it's, they've done such a good job of presenting to the world that they are this way that n- people don't believe that they could be po- possibly do this. And if they have the churches convinced them that the, they will take care of it within the community that should never be allowed. No community should ever be allowed that type of, um, Right, I guess.
0: Sovereignty. Yeah. They're not a foreign country. They don't have sovereignty on American soil. They are still American citizens. They may not think they are, but they sure are. They are.
1: If they don't want to be, then they should not be in the country.
0: (laughs) And religious freedom means you have the freedom to express your religion. You have the freedom to practice your religion. You do not have the freedom to cover up crimes. That does not give you the authority to make you up.
1: Religious groups always want to talk about the freedoms to express their religion, to practice their religion, religion. And I agree with that until it harms people because there should, nobody talks about freedom from religion and specifically religious abuse. And if you are using your, um, your community, your religious beliefs, such as we should forgive this person, Um, that is wielding power based on your religious faith to harm people and it does harm people every day
0: it does and so the question that I have for you is this where does religious freedom end and human rights begin when does that matter when when or the children inside of these insular communities deemed worthy of children's rights, of human rights, of basic human rights.
1: If your religion you have the right to practice your religion as long as it it's like any other right, really, like you have the right to own a gun. You do not have the right to violate my rights with your gun. So, you know, like you have the right to um,
0: whatever. I don't know. You have the right to own a car, but you don't have the right to take that car and run me over with it. Let's let's be real. Like, that's really what it boils down to. So if your religion, just like any
1: right that you have, you have the right freedom of speech. But you don't have the right to walk into a crowded mall and yell bomb. Like, you don't have the right to do that. Because um, you you don't have the right to infringe on other people's rights. Um, and so if your religious belief, if practicing your faith and your religion harms a child or someone else, that's where your rights should stop.
0: Can we just do like a mic drop? That's it. We don't need to have any further conversation. That's it. Like, like we need to. We need to understand. And comprehend that. It needs to stop. If your religion. Harms someone else. That's where it ends. And human rights begin. Right? Yeah. I mean. I said, I said
1: what I said.
0: Oh, you're going to stand by it? Yes. I'm going to die on that hill. Oh, okay, fine. I'll die on that hill with you. I mean, we're just, you know.
1: I can't think of, you know, another Jezebel I'd rather
0: die on that hill with. Uh, well, Jezebels, unite, unite. You know what? If we if we can get information out there and if people can organize and unite I really think like one of the things that can change is one the ability to have conversations like this where we discuss what it was like for us and how that affected us and how that shaped us and you know what can we do well like you said earlier circulate information information is power which reminds me too of like isn't it I think it's Maya Angelou that says it I'm gonna look it up but um when people know better, yeah. they do better.
1: That's
0: her. Um, and and the reason, like, the reason I bring this up, so the actual quote is, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better by Maya Angelou. And the reason that I bring this up is because here's the thing. When we don't know things, we can't do better. Right, But... When you see and you understand that information can be power, right, and you're giving people information that helps them better understand things, that helps them do better, I'm saying, do better. Y'all can do better. I can do better. I don't know about you.
1: Can you share an example? Oh. Uh- So in the first, the first time I was on the podcast, I shared about my story and um, uh, my dad listened to it recently and he called me a couple weeks ago and, you know, he apologized for his part in the situation, even though I firmly believe he didn't know better, but he did know that it wasn't right. Like he felt in his heart that it wasn't like that they Mm -hmm. didn't give two craps about um, my feelings or anything, but he didn't know any better. He didn't have any other information, but he owns it as a parenting failure. And I can, I like, instead of doubling down on it, you know, and so when, when you know better, you do better. Right. And he can now apologize for it and we can move forward. Um, Not that I was resentful, but it's it's very it's very helpful to hear, and he may be able to help other people because
0: of that mindset. So that is a great example. But how do you feel about that?
1: I mean, I, it felt felt really good to hear. Obviously, because um, even though I really believed that he didn't know any better, or he, but for many years, like really, because we never talked about it. I had to work out my own feelings in therapy, which were like, why wasn't my dad angry? Why didn't I see that my dad was angry that I was abused, that his daughter was violated in this way? Why didn't he, because I, I, he I, he had emotions, but he hid them from me because that's what you're told to do. And so I had no way of knowing for probably 30 years or maybe not 30 20 years um, still a long time <laughs> um, that you know he ever that he was really angry about it and that he tried to get the ministry to do something about it but he still he didn't have a voice against them.
0: So in other words what you're saying is giving your dad information led to him knowing better and doing better but also owning and accepting responsibility for what happened and and his response to it not necessarily for what happened but what his response was to it
1: yeah what his how he could have and then he asked like um because he really doesn't know like and what should we have done and um I appreciate that because you know he can't go back and change it but um, I think it's always good to look at yourself and say, what could have I done better now that I know better? And I don't know. So let me ask somebody who does know. Mm-hmm.
0: That's, that's really important is like asking and accessing new information where you can say, what can I do in the future if something like this were to happen? How can I better respond? How can I be more um, supportive in a way that can be received? That's really, really crucial. And I will say, as a parent myself, I've personally experienced. Like, I've made parenting decisions that I absolutely have apologized to my kids for. Like, and and once I received, like, basically, what happened is like this decision happened, and later on, I had access to more information. And once I had access to more information, I realized like what I did was was wrong, and it was. Like, not okay. And I apologize to my kid for that. And I learned a new way of like what I can do things in the future by accessing information about that very specific thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. And I tell people that all the time. This is off topic, but like, I do tell people, clients or otherwise, who are like, Yeah, I feel like I failed my kid. I screamed at them. And I said, You know what? It's more important like how you respond to what happened to what you did, then what that you did it. I mean, within reason, of course, but um, you know, a child will typically remember that you came back and and apologize. Cause that's not easy to do. And many, most people don't do that. I really admire anybody who can say I was wrong. I handled it wrong. I should have done it differently. What, how can I be better? Um, But that is how change happens too, right? Like know better, do better. If people Looking at themselves and saying, how, what, how can we change this now that we know it's happening? But we don't see that a lot in these communities, do we?
0: No. And why is that? Because part of the culture there, I don't know about for the Mennonites, but part of the culture that I experienced is that our school books were like carefully curated by the ministry. There was a lack of access to information. Which is why on the Misfit Amish website there, there are downloadable resources with information that you can print off and circulate in public places around the Amish communities. Anybody is free free to do so. I'd invite you to consider doing that today.
1: Yeah, that's your. Um, I always like you know. I um, I listen to a podcast called We Can Do Hard Things, and they always talk at the end of it about what's the next right thing? And they give like an action step sometimes of what you can do. This is what you can do. So, you know, it feels overwhelming, right? Like we can't change a whole culture. We can't change, we can do very little about the communities themselves as far as like the leadership, but we can inform people. We can have these conversations and Mary and others have done amazing work at, providing resource, creating resources. And you can use those. Yep. Another reason that we don't see change, I believe is just the, the, you know, that patriarchal system, and then they're insulated from, you know, they, they just keep the leadership is such a tight, you know, at the top, whatever, like they don't, they're not open to change and they keep passing down to new people. And so I don't know how that part itself would change, but um, if it's like the uh, uh, butterfly effect, right? So maybe that part isn't going to change, but or right now, but if there the people start to have more access to information, then they won't go hopefully to the bishop when there when something happens to them they know oh i can do i this isn't okay first of all i can go to somebody outside the community and report it that's what i should do um then at some point the power starts to be taken away from the leadership i mean that might be a pipe dream but i would love to see that
0: well but another thing is is you know i don't know about the mennonites but again like amish churches and we've had historically some really great big um schisms that happened and I kind of have this belief and I've been talking about this for a while I have this belief that within Amish churches there are people that are working on raising awareness about abuse and how to respond better to it right and I have kind of come to the conclusion with that that there's going to be another great schism in Amish churches and the reason that I feel that way is because they're they're so divided on how to respond to abuse that the people who want to have a better and a healthier response are going to split away from the people that want to want it to be silenced and covered up Mm -hmm. that's what I think is going to happen within the churches that's a
1: good reason to split (laughs)
0: I mean, and and I know that there's a lot of unrest in some Amish churches. I've heard reports about that. I've heard that there's um, some Amish churches that like really rail back against having the conversations about abuse in the first place. But I know that there's Amish people that are working on this, like raising awareness and having these conversations and talking about how they can better respond. And that's important to acknowledge.
1: I would say it's very similar. I'm mean, in the Mennonite communities. There, there are, there are always splits over things and, you know, it's a, it's, it comes down to power and control in a lot of ways. And the people at the top aren't going to go down easily um, to give up their power. And so it's change. I hope change is coming, but it will be slow.
0: Yeah. Ch- societal change is always slow always
1: though so, but there are but the the encouraging thing to me is like this wasn't happening when i was in the
0: community well i mean like when i first spoke in 2004 there was no plain people's podcast right The memoirs that people have written about CSA and SA within the church, within the Amish church specifically, didn't really exist. There was a discussion board that was called Amish Deception at that point in time, where people had escaped from their communities and they would talk about it there. I can't really talk about the contents of that because that was private conversations. But publicly, there was no conversations like this. There were no conversations like this. And the thing is, is that I feel like we've come a really, really long way in 18 years. But I also feel like we have so far to go. And then I remind myself that again, societal change doesn't happen easily. And if you think about it, within the past, like, five years, I believe, um, there's been an Amish bishop arrested for failure to report. There's been the three Amish bishops arrested for intimidation, victim witness intimidation, and charged with that. They were found guilty. Um, yes, they got a slap on the wrist, but it sets a precedent. You cannot interfere and intimidate a victim, even if you are a church ministry. Um, there's been multiple cases of Amish survivors reporting their abusers and it actually being investigated and prosecuted. Again, we've come a long, long way from where we were, but we still have a long way to go. And so when you start working on this, remember, it's a marathon. This is not a sprint. You can't just dive into it, and tomorrow it's all going to be magically better.
1: Nope. But look for the people who are helping. That is a, um, what is his name? Mr. Rogers?
0: Mr. Rogers? Lori, why, are, why do you know who Mr. Rogers is? Well, I'm did- not judging over here. Oh, wait, just by that statement, I'm judging. Uh, <laughs> <you know. laughs> I'm sorry.
1: well I probably did not know I don't know because like I said before my parents did sometimes let me watch tv um even though we weren't allowed to have them in our home one in our home but like we had friends who were English and we could watch tv at their house sometimes um but I don't know if I knew if I watched him then probably did because like yeah that's probably when I watched Or when I I was in the hospital a lot. I'm an amputee, which is why I made the amputee joke earlier. Um, (laughs) And um, so, in all my surgeries and stuff, I spent a lot of time in the hospital. So, I would watch TV.
0: Okay, fine, fine. I mean, it's a slippery slope, ain't it?
1: Yeah, well, look at me now.
0: So, (laughs) obviously, it was Mr. Rogers. I'm sure. That hair, though, did that hair really come from Mr. Rogers? Isn't it like pink right now? It's pink. I mean. Right. <laughs> Pat, not calling Kettle Black much. <laughs> I would never. Well, yeah. <laughs> Jacob says it's time to go do some worldly things this afternoon. You know what? I feel like that sounds like a great time. You have any parting words you'd like to say about Mennonite rape culture? whoo <laughs>
1: I know, I think I said it all um, or at least I'm sure I'll think of something later that I should have said. Thank you for coming, listening um, please please hear us. please don't dismiss it and you know um, it is real and it is detrimental and you know there are lots of books and like she's like Mary said, there's there are memoirs out there um, of lots of people's stories plain people's podcast has a lot of people's stories as well Mm -hmm. and I I didn't get too far into the podcast till I came across people that I knew yeah yeah from from my Mennonite years so
0: that's um really interesting you know and I'd like to say, and in regards to like Amish rape culture, rape culture exists across societies of all walks and ways of life. But we have to understand that the inherent bias that we carry with us can affect our ability to respond appropriately when survivors of Amish rape and sexual assault come forward and start talking to us we have to understand our bias and be aware of our bias. And when we do that, we will better serve Amish survivors. And further, when you start understanding rape culture as a whole and how it affects the entire world, you will understand how to better serve survivors when you have that self-awareness. So please know that change sometimes is good as much as we detest it. As much as we may not like change, sometimes change is really, really good. And sometimes we are the change. We can do it.
1: We are the change. I want to get a tattoo that says be the change.
0: Maybe we should get matching tattoos. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) That's a nice thing to do wouldn't it that would be such an Amish thing to do like uh, we're the same
1: (laughs) Make is sort of good for you
0: yeah y'all and also I want all of you to know that you deserve health happiness and you know a meaningful life you deserve connections in life that are meaningful to you and I want to again thank our Patreon subscribers for bringing this episode to y'all thank you for listening thank you Lori for sharing I really really appreciate being able to do this and having the honor of sitting with Lori as she discusses her Mennonite culture it means a lot to me and I hope that some of you find this information helpful or even validating in your journey have a beautiful Sunday go forth and sin